Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast, and thank you so much for joining us as we seek to establish Christ followers who live in obedience to God's Word and make an impact in their community and the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, Pastor Brad begins a two-week mini-series called No Easy Way Out, motivating us to complete the task the Lord has placed in front of us. Are you ready to make an impact for Christ? The time is now. We are aware that there are some audio issues in this episode, and we appreciate your understanding. Amen to that. Welcome, Impact Church, this morning. How are you guys? Good? All right. I want to kind of lead us here these last couple Sundays in our tent through a a two-week mini-series, if you will. And then that first Sunday in Jefferson Force High School, we'll start another series where we'll be going through some of the Psalms. There'll be a, a sermon series called the Psalms of Summer. And we'll be going through a lot of those and, and teaching expositionally through those uh, chapters uh, of Psalms. Obviously, we will not go through the whole book of Psalms. Don't worry. We would be in there for a while. But uh, we will get through the summer with those. It'll be a great time in God's Word. But in the meantime, these next two weeks, the title of our sermon series is No Easy Way Out. No Easy Way Out. And maybe when you think of that, your mind goes back to Rocky IV. I don't know. It may be the song that was played then. But when you think of that no easy way out, you're thinking you're in a situation where you know you're going to have to buckle down. You're going to have to persevere to make it to the other side because there is no way to make it easier. The title of our message today, our subtitle, is Some Things Are Worth Fighting For. Some Things Are Worth fighting for. You know, you have to have your head under a rock for the past 20 or 30 years to not know that we live in a convenience-driven society. Everything we do from food to vehicles to houses to internet to everything is all based on convenience. We want things fast and we want things now. That's what our American society especially is pushing pushing upon us because we want things faster, cheaper, easier, the whole nine yards. That way that we can get what we want and have it now, right? We want it easy. We want it right in our hands. And obviously as science and technology improves, even tedious chores that once took monstrous amounts of effort and even teamwork to complete now are done at the hands of a machine or something that's really quick. So we live in this automatic, express, kind of online, remote control, microwave, instant society, don't we? And it's easy if we're not careful for us to keep that same mindset through everything in life. We expect it in our relationships. We inspect it in, in many things and facets of our life, even in our behavior. And even in our faith, if we're not careful. Because then we expect God to be at our beck and call just like our 4G or 5G internet is. When I want something, I want to know something. I want it now, God. Come on. What are you talking about? I got to wait on you. You see, nobody likes that anymore. So we have to be careful that we don't apply this American fast-paced driven society into our walk with Christ. You know, if you're a college student or maybe you've been in school 
or you just know about school, maybe you've never been in college, you know there's something in called auditing a class. And if you audit a class, you're in the class and you're learning about the class and about the subject, but you don't have to do any work. I want you to think about that. So when you're auditing something, you're saying, I'm sitting in this class, I wanna know about this subject, I wanna gain some information and learn, but I do not wanna have any responsibility whatsoever. I don't wanna do any work, and I'm choosing not to be tested. Think about that. When you take that auditing course though, yeah, you may go through that class and you may gain some knowledge and know a little bit, but when it's all said and done, you don't get any credits because you didn't have any responsibility and you did not get tested. So the same is true spiritually, unfortunately, because we have too many people in our society that want to audit the Bible. I want to just audit church. You see, I, I just want to come. I want to, I want to hear about this stuff. I want to hear about God. I want, to, I want to know about him. But you know what? I, ain't going to, I don't want to get tested. I don't want to have any responsibility here. You see, I don't want to be held responsible or accountable for anything that I've learned or heard. I just want to know about it because it makes me feel good to just know about it. You see, the problem with that is you may have some more knowledge if you just audit church and the Bible. You may be even a little inspired sometimes temporarily when you leave, but you'll never, ever, ever experience the true power and authority of God over your life because you didn't receive any credits for what you learned. You didn't have the Spirit of God move and transform you. And here's what it looks like. Transformation always is unlocked through living by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God has to be in you to transform you. And when the Spirit of God's in you, He gives you a desire to do more than audit this Bible. He gives you a desire to learn it, to apply it, to live it out. And yes, with a mature believer in Christ, even though nobody signs up for it and really says, oh, give me more, we know and understand that there will be times where we'll be tested. The question is, will we be found faithful in passing the test? So our title of our little mini sermon series, No Easy Way Out, we know the Bible teaches that the easy way is not always the best way. In fact, you look through scripture and numerous examples, and we'll see that people that chose the e easy way, it didn't end up so well for them. But it's the people who chose the hard way, the way of testing, that God honored that heart, and he moved in his spirit through them to do what only he could do. And we're gonna see that example right here today. You see, just like pure gold, a believer is refined in the fires of trial and adversity. Did you know that? That's where God does his work in us the most. So in Christ, we can definitively say, especially after today's examples, we're going to know that we shouldn't be looking for the easy way out in our faith. In fact, just the opposite. 
We should own the responsibility in Christ to say, Lord, here I am. What do you have for me? Give me strength to endure any type of affliction or persecution or anything that comes my way because I want to be found faithful in the test. So we can definitively say that there's no easy way out and some things are definitely worth fighting for, especially in Christ. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, the reason why we're here. Father, we come to worship you, to to magnify you, to lift up your name. Lord, today, I pray that you would move through your word like only you can. Lord, that you would speak to hearts and lives, that you would move in us and transform us according to your word, through your spirit. Lord, that we can leave here different. That we would not just be hearers of your word, that we would be doers. And that, Lord, we would not just audit your word, but Lord, that we would sign up for the full course and we would own our responsibility as an ambassador, as your representative in a foreign land, Lord, in this world that's going the opposite direction to shine the light of Christ. And Lord, that you would give us strength for any affliction, any persecution that comes our way because we stand with you in your word and we don't back down. Lord, would you speak to us today in that? Would you change us? Lord, you're going to get the glory for everything you do, and we praise you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, take two. Go without the scratch today. So if you have a copy of God's Word, turn with me to the book of Hebrews, and we're going to be in chapter 11, verses 24 through 29. We're going to be in chapter 11, verses 24 through 29. And I want to go ahead and read that for us. And then we're going to talk about this because we're going to start here in Hebrews. It's going to point us in the direction that God has for us today. And then we're going to end up of all places in Revelations. All right. So we're going to see God's word here from the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 29. We're going to read about this guy that I'm sure you know very well. It says, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith, He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. All right, we've heard God's word and we've seen an example. And I think you've probably heard in there where this no easy way out comes from because we have an example of a man of God that God used to do something miraculous. How did he do it? What happened? We're going to look at that. So we see briefly, Moses chose the hard way. Think about that. Moses chose a harder life 
than he could have had in Egypt. Why do you think he did that? We'll get back to that. We see Moses chose the hard way, but what happens when people choose the easy way? Are there examples in that? Three real quick that we'll hit examples in Scripture of people that chose the easy way, the, maybe the path that looked better. First one is in Genesis chapter 13, and you probably remember the story of Lot, how he chose to move toward the greener pastures along the Jordan because they looked more fertile, and it was like the, the garden, right, that God had planted. So he wanted to move there. But the problem is, all that, that looked like the best way, the easy way, in the end, it led to a lot of pain. The loss of his wife, even. Because of who his neighbors ended up being. Sodom and Gomorrah, the, the, the city that would turn their heart against God and sin, and God would have to come and to destroy it. Even after Abraham even prayed, said, Lord, man, but... but if there's 50, if there's 40, if there's 35, you remember that, all the way down to 10. And, and the Lord said, if, there's, if I find 10 there, I won't destroy the city. God could not find 10 people following him in the whole city. I want you to think about that. And you wonder where our nation is heading. If we keep going down the path we're on, God had to destroy that place. And, and only Lot and his family were found faithful. And on the exit, he told him not to look back, but his wife for whatever reason, with some fleeting moment, maybe she loved her friends there or, or her home or the life she had there, looked back upon that place and lost her life. So those green fertile lands didn't end up so well for Lot. How about Genesis chapter 16? We know the story of, of Abraham and Sarah and how God had promised his seed through, through uh, Abraham and Sarah to be the father of many nations. But God made them wait. It wasn't easy. They were old, they were up in age. It didn't make sense to them that what God was doing. So they decided to take the easy route. We're gonna help God out a little bit with this. And they sinned, they took matters in their own hands and it caused big problems and pain in their life and for the generations to come as a matter of fact through the descendants of Ishmael. So we know that people choosing the easy route doesn't end up well, oftentimes. Sometimes even trusting God gets really uncomfortable. If you look through Jeremiah chapter 26, we don't have time to read that account, but you can go back and read it later. We see about a prophet named Uriah, and he was sent by God to warn the nation of Israel, to warn the Israelites of the danger that was coming their way because of sin. So he does that. And then upon speaking God's word, he finds that the king has threatened to kill him. So what does he do? Stand and trust God and say, the Lord will protect me? Nah, actually, Uriah ran in fear. He went and hid, trying to save his own life. But ironically, the king sent men to go out and find him. They brought him back and killed him anyway. God sent a prophet, Jeremiah, after him, told him to give the same message to the same people. And he said in verse 2 of that chapter 26, he says, tell them everything I command you, do not omit a word. 
Make it very clear that you're going to stand on my word. I want you to preach my word. It's not going to be comfortable. Your temptation is going to be to take the easy way out and remove some of it out so that it fits a little softer on their heart and ears. So he made it very clear. This is not going to be easy, what I'm asking you to do. Jeremiah does it. He could have ignored God. He could have sugar-coated and watered down the gospel like so many pastors do today in a culture that this word of God doesn't fall too good on their ears. And so people are compromising and going away from the truth because that's the easy way. Because they can be popular, they can be famous, and they can still have all their podcasts and their, and their internet site and everything else because they're, they're great, everybody loves them. Because they don't preach all of God's word. Yes, they may be preaching God's word, but not all of it. They omit some of it. God doesn't want us to omit any of it. Jeremiah stood and preached the word, found out they were threatening to kill him. What does he do? He stands and trusts God. Choosing the hard way to stay there, to keep preaching God's word to a people who were lost in sin and were about to experience his wrath. What did he do? He didn't choose himself or the easy way. He chose God and God's way, which often is challenging. We know that if we ignore or omit some of God's words or commands that things don't go well there. Because really what we've done, if we skip over parts of the Bible that maybe are not too easy to share or that we know is not going to fit our culture, if we do that, we're basically attempting to rewrite God's word. I, I'm just going to be honest with you. If you don't give all of God's word, you're changing the message of the gospel. You are. Because if I tell you a partial truth and not all the truth, did I just lie to you? Yes, I did. I didn't tell you the truth because I only gave you part of the truth. So many people do that today. So we see the difference between choosing the easy way and the hard way. So now back to Moses in our passage. We know that he chose the hard path, said it plain and simple, that by his choice, he chose not to go with Egypt where he could have had all the riches, all the fame, and, and been high in power, and then maybe even used the excuse to God, well, God, if you want me to do something about your people, wouldn't it be best if I was in charge up here under Pharaoh and, and, and under, in Egypt? I mean, that just makes sense, right? But he chose not to do it that way because he knew that would not honor God because God knew Moses's heart. And that's what we're gonna see as we continue. He could have been satisfied with all these personal comforts, but yet he chose to, the Bible says, suffer. Oh my goodness. I gotta ask myself a question and maybe you gotta ask yourself a question right here. In this godless society where we know that it's not popular to stand on God's word and to stand on truth, are we choosing comfort over suffering? I mean, I just wonder. And we got to ask ourselves, and this is, this is what should motivate us to stand with God. we got to choose. Are we going to stand with God or are we going to stand with man? Moses could have done a lot of different things, but he chose to stand with God and his people. So you know the story, of course. Moses, instead of being high up in the Egyptian court, 
ended up being a shepherd. And he's out there one day and God reveals himself to him in the burning bush, and you know that story. And God calls him to be the one, the vessel to go set his people free out of bondage in Egypt. Moses made all those excuses that he wasn't worthy, that he wasn't eloquent enough, and God still moved him because why? Because he knew Moses' heart. He knew that he could trust him and use him. So, with God's hand on him, he was able to do things and see God do things that he would not have had he chose the easy route. I want you to think about that for just a minute. Moses got to see all of who God is because he chose not to compromise. He chose to be found faithful to God and his word and walked in obedience. Fast forward now. We know that he's in this moment where he's got to part a Red Sea, where he's got to cross a Red Sea with all these Israelites after they've been released from Egypt. And you know that there's got to be this moment where he's wondering, God, what are you going to do? So he comes to this point where he needed somebody to open a door, didn't he? He needed God to show up and do what God only can do. And you know what? I believe we're in the same situation. I believe many of us, as we go through our life, we're faced with situations where we're not in control, that we're just having to, to trust God, to step out in faith, to choose the, the easy, to choose the hard way over the easy way and trust God for the results. And we need God to show up and do something that only he can do. So what does that look like? What happened? To get this kind of understanding of what God did by using his key to unlock a door that was shut, let's turn to Revelations chapter 3. We're going to read verses 7 through 10, and we're going to see a little truth here about God that kind of mirrors what Moses experienced God do in his situation. Revelations chapter 3, I want to read verses 7 through 10. The Bible speaking here to the churches in chapters 2 and 3. And chapter 3 here in the middle, we get to this church of Philadelphia. And here we go. It says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things, says he who is holy, who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you, because you have kept my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the, wor the whole world to test those who dwell on 
the earth. When we look at that passage, first and foremost, we see that this talking about Jesus, talking about God, said that he is holy and that he is true. So, Moses knew that God was holy and that he's true. When we look back into Old Testament, again, Revelation's not talking about Moses. Please don't get that confused. He's speaking to a, a church here for the end times. Actually, probably after we get through, through uh, Psalms of Summer, we'll uh, prayerfully be going through the book of Revelations. So be looking forward to that expositionally. All right? But here we see these truths about God, about who Jesus is, that he is holy and he is true. If you look at the word holy, it literally means he's set apart, that he's, he's different, that he is not like any other, and he is sovereign. And we know in Scripture, Jesus identified himself as God. So we know that he didn't just identify himself as a man or a prophet. That's not why he went to the cross. In fact, he went to the cross because he identified himself as God. So we know that he's holy, he's set apart, and that he's true. That means that he cannot lie. And also that his promises are always fulfilled. You saw that video before the, the message, and it said that, man, he's got a flawless track record. Why wouldn't we put our trust and our faith and our hope in him? His promises are true. If you look also here in, in this passage in, in Revelations that we read, it says that he who has the key of David... What does that mean? What is that talking about? To get that context, we have to go back to the book of Isaiah in chapter 22. The whole passage you can read through in, in that chapter and even verses 15 through 25. But what you'll see is there was a, a steward that the Word of God's talking about in the house of David that God had to remove because he wasn't doing his job. Basically, wasn't it doing, doing it like God had set out, so God has to replace him replacing him with this guy named Eliakim. In Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22, it says this. It says, the key of the house of David, remember that from Revelation, I will lay on his shoulder, so he shall open and no one shall shut. And he shall shut and no one shall open. What type of key was Eliakim getting given in the house there of David. A master key, right? Where he could go in any room in that palace, in that house, and open any door and shut or open any door. So what Revelations is referring to here is Jesus has a master key. He is the one who has the key of David, not just the key of David in David's palace back from Eliakim. He don't have that key. He has the key over everything on heaven and earth. He has the master key, that he is God. We know that Scripture tells us, Jesus speaking himself, that, that he has been given all authority over heaven and earth. And so we know that this master key gives basically two things. It gives total access and total authority, total access to everything, and total authority over everything. Guys, that's the God we serve. That's the Jesus who laid down his life for you, who wants you to step out in faith and walk with him because he controls everything. What do we have to fear, that video said? 
But so often in our humanity, we fear what God's called us to step out and do. And we want it to be easy when God says it's not going to be. Here's the key to understanding this, this master key, that if Jesus has the master key over everything, if we don't understand this, when we get in seasons of trials and difficulty and affliction and persecution in our life, if we don't trust and know that Jesus controls it all, that he is God, Lord, sovereign over everything, if we don't trust and know that, then we're going to start looking to ourself and to people to fix our problems and to help us out and to get us through what we think we need to do. That's exactly what Abraham and Sarah did. They didn't trust an almighty God enough. They said, you're waiting, you're taking too long. I've got to take matters in my own hands. How many times have you and I done that? Stepped in front of God and taken matters in our own hands and then it just messes things up. He's sovereign, he has the master key. We must understand that or we're going to look to people, money, people in positions, people who have earthly authority to try to accomplish what we think we need to accomplish in our life. When they may have some authority, but they do not have total authority. We've seen even in our uh, expositional teaching through Ezra how God moved even those in authority who did not walk with him. Think about that. So why do we feel like we need to leverage people in authority for our own wealth, for, for, for our own um, convenience, for our own desires, when we can just trust God who has the master key in Christ? I want to read for you Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 through 19, because we have something interesting here that's going to hook us in with what's going to be said next there in Revelation chapter 3. Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 through 19. It says, and I also say to you that you are Peter. This is Jesus speaking to Peter. You've probably heard this passage before. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Circle keys. The keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. First in verse 18, you see that he's talking with Peter. He says, basically, you are Peter. He confirmed that his name, like, duh, I know I'm Peter. What is Jesus saying there? He's basically reaffirming Peter because he knows he had denied him. He's going to use him to build this church of Christ through Acts, all right? But then he's also saying, you are Peter. Peter's name means little rock, like a pebble. He's basically saying, you're the little rock, all right? But he gets to say, on this rock, I will build my church. That whole name changes. People get that mixed up sometimes and said, God built his church on Peter. No, he did not. Absolutely not. If God ever builds his church on a man, it will fall and fail. Impact Church is not built on Brad. It's built on Jesus, the foundation, the cornerstone by which all the other blocks will be laid. So the, the foundation of the church was not built on Peter. He just affirmed that. He said, you're Peter. You're a little rock. On this rock, on the big rock, on the bolder rock, that's the solid rock foundation of Jesus, I'm going to build my church. Get that straight. So he affirmed that, but affirming Peter that he was going to still use Peter. Okay, that's important. But God is the big rock. 
You're the little rock. Let's keep going. And I will give you the keys, plural, of the kingdom of heaven. Now, why didn't he say the key? He said keys. Because only Jesus, only God has the master key, baby. But I'm still going to use you, Peter. I'm still going to use you, follower of Christ. I'm going to give you some keys. I'm going to give you some privileges for being found faithful, for living for me, for standing on my word, for not denying my name. You're going to have some keys that I want you to use, but I got the key, right? Jesus said, you're a little rock. You're going to have some power. You're going to have some stuff that I'm going to use you for, but make no mistake, I'm the big rock. I'm the big one. It's built on Christ and Christ alone. And he says, I'm going to give you some keys, and then what you can do with them, you're going to be able to unloose on earth what will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Here's this, this kind of picture, all right? That God's going to use us to do something, but the authority and the power is not going to be in us. It's still going to be in him. He provides the miracle. He does the work. God just chooses to use us and invite us along on this journey, and it's not going to be easy. So Jesus has the master key, but I'm going to give you some keys. And he expects us to use our keys, guys. Can I just go ahead and say that? Why would he give us keys and he don't expect us to use them? See, too many times we expect God to just use the master key because we look at him like a, like a genie in a bottle and like he's just supposed to come at our beck and will, just like this fast-paced society we talked about. We want it now, man. What are you talking about? I don't have to wait for my video to stream, God. What do you mean I got to wait for your will to come in my life? What are you talking about? I want it now. I don't want to wait, all right? So we expect God just to use his master key all the time, and we don't think we need to use our keys at all. See, that goes back to kind of what we talked about before. We don't want any responsibility. We don't want to put any work in. We don't want to be tested with our keys. We just want God, just use your key. Just do what you do. And I'll just sit back here and watch and cheer you on. Woo, go God. That's not what he wants us to do. He's invited us to come along the way and to, yes, be a part of some trouble, some hardship, some affliction, even some persecution for his glory. Can we trust him in that? Why? Because God desires ultimately to unleash his power and authority on this earth, to show up and do things that only he gets the credit for, so only he gets the glory. And he's gonna use those that he finds faithful, stand on his word, and they don't deny his name. So, what are we looking at? If we Look at this big picture. What do we see when Moses, choosing to take the hard way, how did God use him to accomplish the impossible at the Red Sea? First, you look back at that account, you can go back and read that, that later. But we know that, that Moses told the people, hey, you're going to see, because they were all in, in shambles. They, they knew the Egyptians were, were, were coming on them, and they were, were, were fearful. And Moses said, hey, you're going to see the Lord your God, God fight for you today. All you have to do is be still, right? Popular passage of Scripture. God's going to do the work. God's going to show up. Moses is like, I don't know what he's going to do, but he's going to do something. He didn't bring us this far. 
just to bring us this far. But then God says something interesting to, to Moses. He says, why are the people just standing there? Tell them to keep moving. Tell them to just, they're not just auditing the course. I want them to take a test. I want them to keep marching with their kids, with all their everything they got toward that sea right there. What do you mean, God? They'll drown. March. Get moving. And then what's God going to do? God's going to use some keys that he gave Moses, right? Remember the staff that he had to throw down and turn into a serpent and all that stuff? He's going to tell him to, to raise that up, and then that sea is going to part. So he's going to let Moses use some of the keys that he gave him, and then God's going to use the master key and do what only he can do, and that's unlock a door that was locked, that they couldn't make a cross. But he did it only when the people started marching and stepping out in faith. How many times do we miss out on what God wants to do because we're just sitting there crying out to him, God, use your master key. God, use your master key. When he's saying, get moving and use your, your keys, and then I'll use mine. Are you using your keys? I mean, you, follower of Christ, are you using your keys that he's given you? Are you being found faithful? Are you standing on his word? Are you not denying his name? Are you coming to him in prayer and fasting and, and pleading for him to do what only he can? And at the same time, you're doing what you can, what God's called you to do to keep moving forward. It's a beautiful picture from God's word. Another reason sometimes we don't see things happen is because we try to use keys from the wrong kingdom. You see, God give us some keys, but sometimes we don't think they'll work, or maybe they're not popular to use, so we try to use our own key, or we try to use the world's key, and we try to, to mix kingdoms, if you will. Guys, that doesn't work. That doesn't, that doesn't happen. You know that anybody has had has an old set of keys, you can try to use them in your new locks all you want. They won't work. You might even find one that fit because it says master lock. You're like, oh, this is a master lock too. Look, it fits. It works. No, it doesn't. It won't unlock the lock. So often we you try to use the wrong keys to free up what God's given us his keys to do when we trust in his ways. So many times we want God to move, and, but yet we fear people. And we think people have the final say. And we get so scared that we don't keep using the keys that God's given us while pleading for God to use his key. And we just buckle in fear and we give in. And again, we, we go and, and, and we think, oh, well, that, that, that's my boss. I mean, that's, that's the person in authority. He has the, the ability to hire me or fire me. Yes, he does. But he doesn't have or she doesn't have the final say. So many times we, we look to leverage relationships or money to try to make things happen in our own strength. When God says, yeah, they may have some power, they may have some authority, but they don't have total power and total authority. They don't have the key that I have. You see, here's the, here's the deal. If we end up revering and fearing the wrong things, people, man, man's authority, It'll bring us anxiety, discouragement, depression, and pessimism. You just live a negative life, lost, wandering, and hopeless. But if we revere and fear God, the one who has all authority in the master key and can open any door and shut any door that he chooses, that brings hope, peace, anticipation, expectation, and optimism. Which one would you choose? 
You see, everybody would say, well, I choose the hope, the peace, the anticipation. But it requires a hard path. It does. It's not easy. But there's payment in Christ for eternity, for eternity through it. There's hope, peace, and a joy that only he can give. So, again, we don't understand this. We're basically going to be doing what? We're going to be running around like chickens with our head cut off trying to get people to do what they may or may not want to do because we think that they're our only hope and, and they're our only answer when God's saying, I got the key. Why aren't you trusting me? If we look in verse 8, specifically in this passage in Revelations, why did the key work? Here, why, what, in Philadelphia, when we're talking about what happened, what does is, what is the word of God say specifically? What was the reason that this, that there was a door unlocked for them? Look at it. See if you see it. After he says, I know your works, says, see, I have set before you an open door that no one can shut. Right? Ready? Here we go. For you have a little strength. A lot of meanings there. This was a small church, and, and, and they weren't very popular, a little power, but, but also they were using their keys. They were found faithful with the little keys that God had given them. They were being found faithful. How do we know that? Because it keeps on. It says, you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. So they've used that little strength that God had given them in him through those keys they have kept my word, and they've not denied my name. I want you to think about that. Many people don't see God come through because maybe, maybe just maybe, they failed to use the keys. Maybe just maybe they're not standing on his word. And maybe just maybe they're denying his name. And some people may say, well, I'm not denying his name. I go to church, I, I say his name, I pray in his name. How you say I'm denying his name? Are you making a stand in a godless culture for him or are you cowering back when the opportunity's there to share Christ? Are you choosing the easy path to avoid affliction and persecution so that you can stay comfortable and accepted? You've denied his name. You've not stood on his word. At the Church of Philadelphia, they have an open door in front of them that nobody can shut, that God used his master key for because they have used the keys, that little power and authority he's given them. They have stood on his word, and they've not denied his name. So how can we expect God to open a door that no one can shut if we don't do any of that? We can't. God's saying, I'll make a way for you, for your family, for your ministry, if I find you faithful, if you've stood on my word and you haven't omitted some of it or watered it down or sugarcoated it, if you have not denied my name that you've stood for me in a godless culture, then yes, yes, then I'm ready to go to work. Still not gonna be easy. Matter of fact, there's gonna be some persecution. The Bible tells us that. All those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's an A-double-L, all. And if you look at that word, you know what it means? All. 
All means all, and that's all all means. It doesn't say all who say they're a Christian or go to church. It says all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. That's all who desire to use the keys to stand on his word, to not deny his name. You get it? Is the Bible making sense? That's what that looks like. So this church saw God open a door in front of them that the Bible is very clear. Nobody can shut. No man, no power, no authority could shut it because God had opened it. I want to tell you right now, guys, this is why God doesn't want us to have the easy way. He didn't even choose the easy way for his son. Why would we be given an easy path? Think about that. God wants us to be tested so that we could be found faithful. Why? So everybody could applaud us, so we could feel like a good Christian? Absolutely not. So that other people can see Christ in us. So that we could be his representatives in a foreign land. When everything goes wrong, Christ is showing up through us. Because we know he only uses the humble. Amen? God doesn't use the proud. You see, the proud would think, I got this, God, I don't need you. I can do this myself. I've got the education, I've got the money, I've got the relationships, I know so-and-so down there and this, that, and the other, and I can get them to do what I need them to do. I don't need you. But the humble person, the person that, that feels powerless is gonna depend totally upon God to do what only God can. It's like an example of a, a big dog and a small dog that got locked out of their house one day in the winter. And it started to rain and get really nasty and cold and, and the big dog looked at the small dog and said, well, I can open that door because I can reach that knob. What are you gonna do? It's like, you can't reach it. You have no power, you have no strength, you have no ability to do what I can do. You see, I've opened that door before because I can reach the knob. So, the little dog says, well, go ahead, big dog. Do what you want to do. So the big dog went feverishly at the knob like he had in the past to open the door and grabbed it by the knob and was twisting and turning and using his paws and growling and, and just slobbering everywhere and just totally exhausting himself. But what the dog, the big dog didn't realize is this time the door was locked. You see, but he just went about it like he always had because, man, I've opened this door before. I can do this. I know I can. I know I have the power. I know I have the strength. But that door was locked. And so after about three minutes, just totally exhausted, the big dog fell to the ground. And the little dog looked over and said, you done yet? He said, yeah, man, I'm exhausted. I, I don't understand. I've, I've opened this door before. I know I have the strength to do this. I don't, I don't get it. And the little dog says, well, I can open it. The big dog's like, Psh. You can't do nothing. So the little dog walks up to the door, lets out two little yaps, stands up on his feet, scratches the bottom of the door. A few seconds later, the man inside comes and opens the door and lets the little dog in. You see, it doesn't matter what you and I have physically for our strength. The only thing that matters is if we know the person behind the door that controls the lock and controls the door. 
You see, he can only unlock it and nobody else can lock it back. He can only lock it and nobody else can unlock it. He has the master key. Will we trust in him? As we close, obviously through verse 9 and 10, we see this result that it says, even those that are against you, God says, they're in the synagogue of Satan. What's that? Well, it says it. Those people claim to be Jews, claim to be God's people, but they're not. It says they're liars. What is that? What are you talking about? Those are people, as of today, like in the church, who claim to be Christians, but they're not. You know them and I know them. By your fruits, you will know them. You say, oh, well, Brad, we're not supposed to judge people. Hey, no, 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 no. Eh, 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 eh. Hey, please don't misuse that scripture. We don't judge their heart, whether they're saved or not, but the Bible's very clear that if somebody claims to be in Christ, that we can be a fruit inspector. And that if we see a brother or sister that claims to be in Christ and they're not walking according to God's word and according to his plan, we can get the plank out of our own eye first and then go help our brother with the speck in his. Yes, you can. Absolutely you can. But you've got to take care of your own life first. Yes, you do. In your own sin. So here we have this synagogue of Satan where these, these godly people hiding behind God's word, hiding behind Christianity, claiming to be people of God, and the word of God calls them from the synagogue of Satan. I want you to think about that. That's pretty strong words, isn't it? That's pretty strong. Because the point is clear. If you're not on God's side, whose side you on? Enemies. Even if you're claiming the name. We'll get a little bit deeper into that next week as we look at the difference between the broad road and the narrow road in our second part of No Easy Way Out. But it's very clear that God doesn't just listen to religious talk. Religious talk means nothing to him. Your position in a church, you may lead a church, you may lead a ministry, you may teach a Bible study, whatever. You may be all that in a bag of chips as far as everybody's concerned in the church. But if your heart's not right, you're a liar. Nobody else around you may know it. They may think you're great. Oh, they're such a spiritual person. They just know all the scripture and they know all the answers and they're so godly and when they pray, I just feel the spirit. But if their heart ain't right, God knows. And they're of the synagogue of Satan. That's scary. But then the Bible says, even those, even those people who claimed my name, who come against you, they're going to know I'm with you. They're going to know that you were found faithful, that you stood on my word, that you didn't deny my name, because I'm going to move on your behalf, and I'm going to make them come down, and they're going to worship at your feet. And they're going to know that I'm with you. They're going to know that it's not about you, that it's about me, because you, you were found faithful. You didn't deny my word. You didn't deny my name. And then at the end of that passage in verse 10, it says they were delivered because they kept my command to what? Persevere. To persevere. If you're persevering, things aren't very easy, are they? You're having to push through. You're having to be resilient. Into that passage, we don't have, to have time to pick out and discuss, and we'll do that later when we go through Revelations. But it says that I'm going to remove you from the hour of trial, a, a verse that, that people point to to definitively look at the rapture as being before the time of the tribulation, where the people on God's uh, earth will be tested, the Bible says. And he's going to remove those who are authentically in Christ. That would be this church of Philadelphia who was found 
faithful. So what do you have? You have a promise in Christ to be delivered. I want you to think about that. And there's three ways God delivers, and we talked about this in Philippians, that God will either, either deliver you out of something, he can do that, sometimes he does. He can deliver you through something and walk with you through it, he often does that. Or he can deliver you unto himself. But if you're in Christ, you have a guarantee that you will be delivered. Some people look at that last one and be like, whoa, 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 you said guaranteed unto himself. That means I'm out of here? Yeah. May I ask what would be wrong with that? Paul even said it would be better for me to be with Christ, but if I got to be here with you, God's going to use it. Man, we look at things so differently. We don't have an eternal mindset. It's like we think the only life we have is the life on this earth, and it's not. You have guaranteed deliverance in Jesus, guaranteed, either out of something, through something, or unto himself, but you will be delivered, and that's a guarantee, and it's a promise. So why would we be scared of persecution? Why would we be scared of affliction and the hard road? Why would we look for an easy way out when we have guaranteed victory in Jesus? So as we wrap it up, nothing will make God more real to you than when you see him open a door or shut a door that you are powerless to open or close yourself. When he reverses the irreversible, when he flips the unflippable, when he moves the unmovable, when he parts the unpartable like he did for Moses and the Israelites, when it looked like there was no way out, when it looked like all hope was lost, when it seemed like Satan and his demons were running the whole show, but God. Somebody say, but God. But God showed up, and he said, peace be still. And the same storm and waves and water that was about to consume you, that made you fearful, that was causing you trouble and pain, was all of a sudden gone, and everything was quiet. And the way before you and in front of you had drastically changed because God had used a master key. Have you ever seen or experienced that in your life? Have you ever seen God open a door, make a way right in front of you with something that was previously shut? Have you? Have you ever seen God do something, swing something open, shut the mouths of the lions like he did for Daniel, where their mouths were previously open and hungry and ready to feast and devour him? and God shut something that was previously open? Have you seen God move on your behalf and do something that only he could get the credit for? Have you ever seen that? Have you ever experienced that? If not, just do a little gut check and be like, Lord, have I been found faithful with the keys that you've given me? Lord, have I been found faithful that I'm standing completely on your word? Lord, have I been found faithful that I'm not in any way, shape, or form denying your name? Because there, inside of that, is that promise for God to show up. That's what he said right there in Revelations to the church of Philadelphia that was found faithful, that there's a promise in that. So, when you see God do something like that, you'll know that he's sovereign. 
And here's what God loves to do. He loves to, to challenge us, maybe in our first steps. It may not be the, the, the monstrous thing like, like the Red Sea or, or doing whatever. It'll be the, the small things first. And then in that, you'll get to trust God and you'll see him move. And then guess what? It's not over yet, baby. God's got a, a bigger step for you to take next. And it's going to take more faith to step out in that. And once that's done, he's then got a bigger step for you to step out. You see my point? God's wanting to grow us, grow you, grow me, grow this church, grow our faith as we watch what he does, as we stand on his word and don't deny his name. Because I'm going to tell you, it's only in the fiery furnace where you'll experience the peace and the presence of God. It's only in the lion's den where you'll experience his authority over man and beasts that's against you. It's only marching toward a Red Sea with those angry, bitter, vengeful Egyptians nipping at your heel that you will experience miraculous power, sovereignty, and the hand of the Lord on your life and on your path because he holds the master key. So don't take the easy way out because God wants to show up in your life, through his word, to show himself faithful to other people if we'll choose, like Moses, not to take the easy way, but to choose the path of affliction because I'd rather stand with God and his people than with man and everything they have to offer. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. And I wonder if there's anyone here today that might say, Brad, the Lord has spoken and moved. And I know right now today that I need to not choose the easy way. That I've been looking for a way out, an easy way out, but God has called and spoken to me today that he wants me to use his keys that he's given me. The little bit of strength and power that he's given me through his word, through the through prayer, through everything that he's called me to do, and then for me to stand on his word, to keep his word, and to not deny his name. Maybe that's you today. Or maybe you're here, and you might say, I've never even accepted Jesus and made him Lord of my life. If that's you, I would like for you to do that today, to repent, to surrender your heart, your life, to Jesus for the first time. And if that's you and you want to surrender your life right now, I'm going to lead you through a prayer that I want you to pray from your heart to God's side. And I'll always make it very clear, just like I did last night at a youth rally we were at, that the words, the prayer by itself does not save you. Jesus didn't say, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must just believe in me, say a quick prayer, and then never think about me or do anything for me the rest of your life and you'll be saved. No, uh-uh. He said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What's all that? That's repentance and surrender. Are you ready to repent and surrender and give Jesus your life? If you want to do that today, I'm going to lead you through a prayer. Then yes, Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. But it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. So we can just speak from your heart to God's heart right now and just say, Dear Lord, I admit to you that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of you, my Savior, that I've fallen short of your glory. 
And Lord, I'm wrong. Forgive me. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross, God in the flesh, the perfect lamb, the spotless lamb that was slain for the sin of all mankind so that I could be set free. He took my place. Thank you for his body that was broken, his blood that was shed. And I will not take that for granted because I will not make excuses for my sin anymore. I repent and I turn to you. Thank you for sending your your son and then also raised him from the grave three days later, proving that he is God. And he stands in victory over all hell, death and the grave. And Lord, I need that victory right now in my life. And my commitment to you, Lord, right now is to stand with you. Give me the strength, the ability that I don't have on my own, that I can be found faithful, that I could stand on your word, that I could not deny your name in a godless culture. And the Lord, that every step I take and every breath I make will always be for your glory and yours alone. Come into my life, Lord. Change me, transform me, save me. I live now for your will and not my own. Amen. If you prayed that prayer right there today, you meant business with God, you accepted him for the first time, or maybe you prayed that prayer right there today to, to rededicate your life to Jesus, whatever the case, to get back to God. If you've been business with him and you surrendered your heart and your life and you're coming to him in repentance, would you boldly and unashamed right now, before we walk out of this place, raise your hand, say, Brad, pray for me. I, I prayed, I meant business with God, I'm surrendering all today, amen. If I don't see you, God does, amen, hands down. Impact, can we give Jesus a big round of applause in this place and praise him and glorify him for everything he does every single week through the presentation of his word. And guys, I hope we can take this message today. We can see and know that we serve a, an almighty sovereign God who holds the master key. But in the meantime, he's given us some keys and he wants us to use them. He wants us to stand on his word. He wants us to not deny his name in a godless culture. And then as we walk through the fire, as we're in the den with the lions, as we're suffering affliction and persecution, maybe for standing with Jesus, then he's going to show up and do what only he can. Will you trust him for that? Hey, come back next Sunday because you won't want to miss the second part of this as we're going to look at the difference between the narrow gate, which is the hard way, and the broad path, which is the easy way, in the second part of No Easy Way Out. Thanks again for joining us today. The Lord is truly doing an amazing work and we would love for you to be a part of it. Check out the show notes for links to our website and social media pages. Or if you're ever in the Lynchburg or Forest, Virginia area, please come on by and join us in making an impact for Christ. Christ.